Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we have a pretty important show for you lined up today. Um, Certainly, our shows are filled with very talented people, and today is not an exception to that, I might add. However, um, today we are are not leveraging the talent um, for their humor, their musicalness, their everything talent-wise, but we're going to actually be talking about a serious um, discussion. Uh, Waiting in the Wings is a powerhouse of the Colorado drag scene, Jessica Lahore. Um, Jessica is very prominent, uh, especially in Colorado, and, um, you know, incredibly talented, incredibly beautiful, um, a huge entertainer um, on that scene. But today we're going to talk to her specifically because one of the venues that she is regularly featured at is Club Q. And as you're probably aware, Club Q was in November the um, venue of um, horrible anti-LGBTQ violence. Um, we also have joining us today Sarah Grossman. Sarah um, is a an activist and um, an anti-violence um, proponent. Um, she came into this because one of her dear friends was killed in the Pulse Massacre. Um, And so she has some unique perspective on the violence from from that perspective. Um, With this violence, um, as I said, in uh, Club Q in Colorado, five people were killed, 17 people were injured. Um, That was in mid-November. I do want to point out that the death toll there could have been much worse. Um, It was certainly the intention of the gunman to make it worse. The only reason it wasn't was because what made this situation unique was two of the patrons literally ran into the face of fire and um, took down the gunman, um, which was incredibly brave, incredibly rare, and saved many more lives. But the intent and the hatred was still the same behind this this uh, shooting. Um, the club is known as a venue for drag performances, as Jessica Lahore will, will tell us more about. Um, but it, that also made it an easy target for the anti-LGBTQ hate. This week, in fact, I think it might have been some today or yesterday, um, there was a House committee meeting that looked into the growing anti-LGBTQ violence in America, and um, there survivors from both Club Q and Pulse um, spoke in front of the committee. Uh, one of the speakers was uh, our good friend Brandon Wolf, um, who uh, was at the Pulse massacre, was in the club that night um, and survived. And um, a couple from Club Q, uh, I'm going to read a quote from one of the survivors. 
Do the politicians and activists who accuse LGBTQ people of grooming children and being abusers shame on you? Michael Anderson Club Q survivors said to the committee, as leaders of our country, it is your obligation to represent all of us, not just the ones you happen to agree with. Hate speech turns into hate action, and actions based on hate almost took my life from me at 25 years old. Um, after he spoke, um, there were other speakers. The Republican lead on the committee was taking offense to the fact that Republicans were being, quote, unquote, blamed, um, and got up and talked about how, and this is almost like nails on a chalkboard at this point, but how the victims of the shooting were had their thoughts and prayers and um, that, uh, you know, Republicans did not condone violence, blah, 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 blah. Um, Club Q owner Matthew Haynes then spoke to the committee and um, seemed to be even responding to the thoughts and prayers comment by saying, I ask you today not simply what are you doing to safeguard LGBTQ Americans, but rather what are you or other leaders doing to make America unsafe? LGBTQ people and that is a really poignant and important question um, so with that I'm going to welcome um, my co-host Brody Lebec to the show Brody is the editor-in-chief of the LA blade magazine uh, which is the publication you should be checking with every day for unique and original LGBTQ news stories in the highest level of journalism, um, and you can find that at losangelesblade.com. Welcome to the show, Brody. Thanks, Rob, and thank you to all of our listeners uh, who are just so loyal, and we appreciate uh, all of you. You can new to the show, download it on your uh, podcast uh, app. Uh, we can be found all over the place, literally. Um, Looking at just contextually the show that we're doing today and then comparing it to the news cycle, I'm going to pull a couple of things out. Um, in Texas Tuesday, there was a protest uh, at the Aztec Theater in downtown San Antonio, and the usual forces were arrayed, the Texas Freedom Force, San Antonio Family Association, and then the Log Cabin Republicans, which is an LGBTQ political group. And the reason for this gathering was, surprise, surprise, a show at the Aztec titled A Drag Queen Christmas. In the course of the protest, uh, there was the standard homophobic slurs of pedophile, groomer, and what made this particular protest even more unique was this time you had armed people on both sides of the protest show up dressed in tactical gear black and carrying AR-15s. There are pictures of this uh, on the Blade website if you want to go take a look. But yeah, now we have armed protesters on both sides over the drag issue. And of course, it was the standard complaint about here we go, drag is sexualizing children and grooming and all that other nonsense. I'd like to say that was it this week, but now we're on a roll. My native homeland of Canada, in the province of British Columbia, in the town of Kelowna, B.C., 
a pizza location found itself targeted by LGBTQ activists over its The Real Housewives of the North Pole drag show. Global News Canada reported that one of the owners of the restaurant said, and this is from all the abuse they were getting online primarily, uh, Kate McKenzie said that they were receiving messages. This includes comments on Facebook, Instagram, and emails. You're a sick bunch of pedophiles. You're parasites, and all of you should hang from the gallows. Uh, there was a scuffle between the two protesters out front of the restaurant, uh, according to the RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, our national police force, uh, for you all here on this side of the border. Uh, the incident uh, didn't go beyond that. In typical Canadian fashion, they apologized to each other, and everyone went around on their own you know, business after that. I imagine the presence of the RCMP probably had something to do with that. Global News is out there with the camera crew, and one of the protesters who doesn't like drag shows essentially said, goddamn sodomites, disgusting people, enabling pedophiles is disgusting. You should all be ashamed. You all are just a bunch of faggots. That's a standard you know, trope that we get from our friends on the right-hand side. To Rob's point, to the point of the show today, it's no longer just rhetoric. It's no longer just hate speech. It's no longer just political nonsense. It is now violent. Club Q uh, is just the latest in what we have seen. But over the last 18 months, we have seen an escalated uh, array of violence um, at not only just drag shows, but at LGBTQ events and in libraries, especially in libraries. Um, a good friend of mine and friend of the show, State Senator Scott Weiner, uh, California State Senator Scott Weiner, uh, has had to endure having the San Francisco police uh, just last week uh, come to his home in both of his offices because of a death threat that they found credible. And this is, unfortunately and sadly for Scott, just the latest in the series. Uh, if you'd like to read more about that, uh, my new diversity reporter, Sema Haddad, is writing a series called State of Hate. And her story two days ago, out California State Senator Scott Weiner, contains all the lovely details that go with this. It, it's not rhetoric, and, it, and it's not rocket science. It's hate, it's unleashed, and it is silent. And this is, I think, the thing that people really need to start, you know, hemming in on. One of the reasons Sarah is joining us today is because she is head of the Drew Project, which is headquartered in home ported, I guess you could say, in Orlando, Florida. The Drew Project is a nonprofit that assists Florida schools, which are under siege now because of Governor DeSantis and his insane, don't say gay law and attitudes. Uh, but they help LGBTQ uh students and groups uh, with scholarships and money and a bunch of other things. But the Drew Project was born out of tragedy. Like Brandon, a survivor of the shooting, Brandon lost his two best friends in the club that night. And Andrew and and Juan, unfortunately, ended up as the victims. But Andrew, better known as Drew, had gone to college with Sarah, and they were already all dear friends. Um in the aftermath, and once the dust settled at Pulse, Sarah, 
and another friend that knew Drew, and of course Brandon got together and they formed the Drew Project. You know, for Sarah and and for Brandon and the other activists, it's a very real thing. It has very real world impact. And it's not, you know, just an idle story that those of us that are journalists are putting up as a part of our routine. This negatively impacts uh, folks all over the place. In the aftermath of Club Q, I had a conversation with Colorado Governor Jared Polis, uh, who's openly gay, and he and his husband, Marlon, have had their fair share of homophobic attacks directed at them. Um, the governor told me that he's extremely alarmed uh, because the hatred has now gotten to what he referred to as a boil over point. And I don't think the governor's wrong. And, and I think that it's it's at this point now that we really need to address this. Rob alluded a few minutes ago to the Republican response uh, in yesterday's hearing of the House uh, Appropriations Committee. Uh, the essence of it was thoughts and prayers, both sides' fault that it got here. There was absolutely no acknowledgement at all whatsoever of the humanity of the very people that lay, you know, bleeding and dead on the floor at Pulse or bleeding and dead at the floor at Club Q, or I could go on. There isn't. And anybody who has the mistaken impression, okay, that these Republicans are going to look at this in a humane way, I'm sorry, you, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It's all there is to it. These people do not flat out care. They don't give a shit. They want us gone. They want us well, erased. I, I would say even worse, Brody, is, you know, it's, that's, there's, there's certainly that element that want us gone and want us erased. I think the vast majority of the publicans, at least in office or the ones that have really fueled this, really don't even care about us. They're using us as a political ploy to rile up people who want us gone and want us erased. And that is, that is the part of the base that they are trying to get energized. And even if people at, where those sentiments are subtle or subconscious, they're trying to raise that consciousness so that they have a target. Um, it's, it's a very authoritarian fascist strategy and um, it's worked throughout history and they're trying it again and we're the ones, um, particularly transgender people and, and drag performers. Um, so anyway, but was there any other news or can we go on to our guests? I, let's go on to our guests. I, I, I think we've got everybody's temperature boiling. Now let's just go ahead and do a pile on. I want to, I want to, before, right. before you bring them on though, um, I want to uh, extend uh, my gratitude and thanks to both our guests. And, and Sarah, of course, uh, you know how much I love you. And it's so nice uh, to have you back in the chair talking to us. Um, and it's, uh, I've got to give a shout out to you and Brandon uh, and the Drew Project for all the marvelous work that you guys do in Florida. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And, and folks, you know, here's a pitch. Go to the Drew Project. They've got donate buttons. Uh, I would appreciate it if you'd throw, you know, a few dollars their way because it's for a great cause. They do good work in the state of Florida. And right now, LGBTQ youth in the state of Florida desperately need our help. Rob? Okay. I'm, I'm going to bring them on before you wrap up the show, Brody. 
<laughs> that was a great, great end of the show. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we're just getting started here. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to bring on at the same time, uh, Sarah and Jessica. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hi. Our um, Sarah, I want to I want to start with your story first, just because historically it happened first. Um, tell us about when you heard about what happened at Pulse and what happened with Drew. Sure. Um, so my last normal day, like many other people in the Pulse community, uh, was June 11, 2016. And by any stretch of the imagination, it was a very normal summer day. I went to the pool and got sunburned. I took my dog on a long walk around the park. I decided because I was sunburned to not go to the movies that night, and I went to bed early. Um, as I was sleeping, my best friend from college, Drew, was being shot dead on the dance floor at Pulse Nightclub, which was a place that I had danced with him so many times throughout our friendship while I lived in Orlando. That next morning, I woke up to dozens of missed calls and messages offering sympathy and panic and asking if I had heard from Drew. And I opened Facebook to see what I must have missed. And what I saw next is lasered into my brain. The combination of red and blue lights in front of Pulse Nightclub in Orlando created this amethyst color that was very similar to the amethyst color I saw in Colorado Springs as I woke up a couple of weeks ago to find that another community of mine had been ravaged by gun violence. And I had to wait almost 24 hours before finding out that Drew and his boyfriend and 47 others didn't make it out of Pulse alive. And this hit hard once again and way too close to home, and I had to wait hours after texting friends, including Jessica, to find out if they were merely sleeping or possibly dead on a dance floor. And Nobody should have to endure that kind of pain or panic. We deserve better. And so I, I just want to, you know, put my two cents in again on the, the following Brody. The rhetoric that has been peddled by politicians around the country ended up killing people in our safe spaces. So, and, and think about who. And think about how who is using us as pawns to make it politically expedient to get donations and points and fundraising dollars. I mean, how can people possibly act surprised when we're being called groomers and pedophiles that someone pumped full of incel vigilante justice thinks he's doing the world a favor by gunning us down? Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I did not have anybody personally that I knew that morning, but I got similar calls and everything else, so I cannot even begin to imagine what that was like for you and and what happened in your world that is it's it's so horrible and it <clears throat> there are certain things with these kind of violences is that you know there's always the, the phrase never forget and for those that are touched by it that isn't even a, a thing you can't ever forget it, it is just literally not possible and so kudos right. to you for taking your heart and, and the work that, that you've turned around with it. <clears throat> Jessica, Thank I want you. to go to you um, around Club Q. Um, I know you weren't there that night, but did you know people? What what was your experience with um, around that shooting? Yeah. Um, 
so Silkview, I think, in the Colorado drag community is a space that a lot of now older entertainers grew up with. Club Q, back in the day, there were not many venues uh, around the state or even in Denver that had regular drag shows, and Club Q was one of those. Um, it's a space where a lot of people, not only in the Springs, but in Denver, even in Fort Collins, where I was living at the time, would travel to to go and work. Um, I think over the years, there I, I had not frequented it as much, but there's still so much history. I knew the bartender, one of the bartenders, Derek, fairly well. And I think that th this space was the only space, really, that the Springs had when it came to a smaller, queer, safe space for people to go and express themselves. And so I think that it's really something to take note of. Uh, I've had a couple of friends recently go up to visit the memorial and say that it's so gloomy and dark around the streets and towns around Club Q. Nobody is, is talking about it or putting up anything in solidarity. And even the memorial for Club Q is tucked behind buildings so that they're not seen. I think that just mm -hmm. keeps volumes to the concerns of the city and, and the lack of response that, that surrounding businesses are even having to see it. Yeah, it's. Um... It, it's a weird, weird environment. Um, uh, just I want to take you back to your history because one of the things that, you know, the the people who have these, and I think they're hugely irrational fears around, are the exposure of drag queens to children, and which is kind of bizarre because American comedy started with that kind of drag um, with Milton Berle and with Wilson. And, I mean, it's been been a historical thing. And not to mention the movie Mrs. Doubtfire, where it was literally, you know, somebody in drag taking care of kids. Um, what, um, as a child, you know, what was your, were you fascinated with drag as you were growing up as a, as a young person, or is that something that happened later? It happened later in my life, and that's what I think is really confusing, that uh, now that I'm able to look back, drag had been even around long before before these movies that you're talking about, these actors, you know, SNL, anything like this, drag or, or cross-dressing or kind of representing different uh, gender-bending aspects have been around forever. So I think that it's interesting that it's so new. As a kid, I was in a very conservative, very Catholic household where I didn't even know what the word queer was. Uh, the idea of being gay was not an option. and It was very clearly stated to me that it was not an option growing up. Um, and I didn't even discover what drag was until I was a freshman in college. I didn't even explore what uh, different identities on the gender spectrum or sexual identities even were until I was a freshman in college. Um, where I had opportunities to kind of create my own community, find my own lane, and, and discover more about myself around people that were supportive of the idea of really exploring those, those ideas and concepts. And so drag started there and blossomed and developed, but the earlier stages of me becoming a queer person and even a drag artist were super negative, like self-negative. This idea that I was, you know, going to hell, that I was doing something wrong, that uh, the way that I wanted to live or the way that made me happiest or uh, the way I wanted to express myself in my job or my art form was, was wrong. It was a negative thing. Um, it, took, it took a minute to get out of that headspace and actually start embracing this is who I am, this is my authentic self, and uh, it, it 
really shifted my entire life growing up on the mountain. Yeah, and, and I know when a couple of years ago you personally were involved in, I'm not going to call it a scandal, but um, um, a situation <laughs> that that you, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't call it a scandal. <laughs> it was scandalous. Um, anyway, um, where you were invited to speak at a middle school for career day. And yeah. that caused a whole lot of uproar. Tell us about that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, there's so – I've learned my lesson about what I say. That was one of my first bigger TV interview moments, too, because they got so many facts and so many things wrong about the incident. Um, essentially, I was invited in 2018. It was around October time. Um, before that, I had been doing all-ages events, all-ages drag shows, as Miss Jessica, and there was a – a kid that would come regularly to these shows with their parents and with their families, um, and they asked their teacher if I could come to Literacy Day. So it was a day dedicated to different occupations coming in, talking about how important education was, uh, reading a book of our choice to the kids, and pretty much having a conversation. So I went in in drag. Um, I was very cautious of my attire. I came in with Jessica, and I spoke to the kids about, you know, my experience in college as a queer person, how my passions in college and what I got my degree in contributed to literacy, the importance of reading, going to school. And then I read a book that was about uh, bullying and the importance of treating people with kindness and respect. And then I did a, a Q&A with the students. Well, uh, not even within 24 hours, it had made international news. Uh, it was all over the place. Rush Limbaugh talked about it on his podcast. Uh, it got really hateful and uh, mixed with, again, people that are combating that. And it started with two parents that found out that I was coming to the school, and their kids personally didn't even attend the school that I had been at. So these were two parents that were part of the district that had students or their kids at a different school in the district, and they were absolutely appalled that I would come. This is an adult profession is what they were saying. This is something that should not be exposed to kids. Um, and, you know, Fox News, or I think, yeah, what, no, it was 9 News at the time had interviewed me right after and pretty much messed up a lot of the facts and details of, of what the actual program at the school was. Uh, the principal was supportive, but they got a lot of black. It was, it was a whole mess. But it actually ended up being a pretty amazing thing because it blossomed Miss Jessica um, to be more prominent and to be more of a character and to reach out to so many different uh, queer youth groups, different schools, to come into all ages events. It started uh, one of the largest all-ages events that we had in the state consistently. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise that allowed for a bigger impact, but at the time it was just wild. Yeah. It's like, it, it, we can file it under uh, no PR is bad PR or something like that, I guess. Um, yeah. What, what is – when you – you know, one of your focuses has been to to put drag in different environments. And obviously the <clears throat> Jessica Lahore personality is part of that drag adult-only venue. 
that is kind of like the modern-day burlesque, which was, even back in the day, burlesque was very sexual and body and, and shocking, and that was the idea. And it was targeted for that audience. Um, what is your intention for drag for all ages, for the younger audience? What do you hope a child seeing you? And to be clear, Miss Jessica and Jessica Lahore, from what I've seen, do not dress with the same wardrobe necessarily. No. The, the characterizations, the, the way that I speak, the way that I dress, the way that I present myself um, are very different, especially when I'm going into a space that I'm welcomed into as Miss Jessica. People are coming into one of my shows. I have made it a point the last several years at the very beginning to make sure people know, is this an adult show? Is this a family-friendly show? Is this an all-ages but not family-friendly show? Um, and make it very a point at the beginning when I'm even talking to different people so that they have the option whether they would like to participate, stay, or if they don't feel comfortable. Um, what I hope when I get out of this, and I've seen it, I've gotten feedback. When we started doing these larger all-ages shows for the kids or even finding spots for the kids to perform, um, not only would I have parents come up to me and say, my child has never, uh, it's been a while since I've seen my child so happy. Um, they've found a place where they feel loved and appreciated and they can be who they want to be because a lot of the kids don't get that at school. Um, and some don't even get it at home either. But this, this platform, ultimately, I am just a moderator for young artists, young creative, queer, or not even queer sometimes kids that want to perform, want to express themselves, maybe want to and try on makeup, whatever it is, in a stage that, on a stage that is 100% supportive. No matter what they do, people in the audience are going to cheer, encourage them, and show them support for what they're doing. And that's ultimately, yeah. the, if you boil down everything, that's what we're trying to get out of this. Is because I didn't have that growing up as a kid. I didn't see queer teachers. I didn't see queer spaces. I didn't, again, like I said, I didn't know what the word queer was. And for some of these kids, they're thinking about it. We're in a, a new age where they people can research stuff and they have smartphones and they find out before they even come to the show. And this is a safe space for them to discover whether this is for them or maybe not for them. Um, and that is based in off of you know, transitioning, their identity, how they want to dress and present to their art form. It's just it goes beyond just the art of drag. You learn so much just by having the representation. Yeah, it, it kind of occurs to me as you're, as you're describing that, which I think is awesome, by the way. It's like with, with my son, um, my one son wanted a set of Barbie, not Barbie, uh, princess slippers uh, when he was like four years old. Um, that's what he asked for for Christmas. And, and he got them, uh, um, and he tried them about three times and then decided they weren't for him, which I went through a similar thing myself when – when I was 10, I decided I wanted to try out drag, and so I went as a woman for Halloween and got fully decked out. And I have to tell you, um, that did me in. <laughs> so I admire you just for, for, for dressing like that because I, I could not do another day in high heels. Um, so, um, but I think it's important that people are able to just play it out and express themselves and try things and and all that. Um, do you, uh, you get know, a feeling yeah. that – go ahead. No, but I, after you. Yeah, uh, what I was going to ask you is, you know, 
in that effort, which I think is completely healthy, but is that part of what threatens some people in that they do not want their kids to explore their real gender possibilities or their sexual orientations that might be different from what their parents want in terms of their cisgender box of how people are supposed to be? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that it's pretty clear that no matter what age you are, no matter as a parent how much you try to control your child and what they experience and how they develop, that we as, as humans will find our own path eventually. Some as early as, you know, five or six years old when they realize maybe they want to transition, and some even when they're in their 70s and they realize, hey, I've been gay or queer for the last 40 years and I'm ready to come out. And the thing is, no matter what you do, if you're meant to be a certain way or if you're meant to identify a certain way or do something, it's going to happen regardless of what you, what you try to do. And I think that goes with any hobby. You know, I'm destined to play an instrument. If I'm exposed to instruments, it at least puts it in my head to make the point that that's what I want to do when I grow up. Um, I would say the same thing. If I see representation of queer people on TV or in person, uh, I know that it exists and that it is a possibility. But ultimately, I'm going to make the choice depending on who I'm attracted to, how I want to identify, how I want to present. And I, don't, I think there's a lot of fear, and I even grew up with that, being in a Catholic household, that religion, uh, family values, whatever, whatever the basis is, people are being queer in any capacity is like the worst thing that could happen. And that even came out when the shooters of Club, the shooter of Club's father in an interview said, well, I found out he was at a gay club, but thank God he wasn't gay. Thank God my son's not gay. Like that was what he was more focused on than the fact that his son just shot up a bar. That was, he was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, of all of the things to be concerned about, that was what you were worried about. And I, for the life oh. of me, can't figure out what people have this fear against drag queens or queer people when they exist everywhere. And even if you don't know it, your doctors might be queer, your, uh, your grocery people might be queer, uh, your lawyers, it doesn't matter. Like, they're everywhere. You can't stop us from existing. Even if, you know, I think drag queens are just so blatantly in your face about it, and some queer people are so blatantly expressive in your face about it that that scares these other people. Yeah, I, I actually have a, a, an additional theory to that. It's not actually in contradiction, but it sort of extends that further in that um, one thing we've seen traditionally is um, supposedly straight men who are probably harboring some variants on their own sexuality and different attractions within themselves um, are usually the most vile and violent against gay men as a threat. And um, back in the day, there used to, that used to actually be a, a legitimate argument in court for, for extending violence, that, that they felt threatened because they, another man hit on them. And so they felt, they felt completely justified in either beating him up or killing him. And they legally had to change the laws to not allow that to be a defense. I mean, it was so prominent. But my, my kind of question to you is, isn't drag potentially a big trigger for those type of men? Because it, here you have a man in drag, and 
and I've seen pictures of you um, and and other drag queens that are completely sexually provocative and alluring to a straight man's sensibilities. I mean, a man who is attracted to voluptuous women is going to be completely enthralled, and yet finding out or knowing that it is actually a man underneath all that is a complete um, trigger for his own internalized homophobia that he could possibly be sexually aroused by another man. Oh, I think that you're 100% accurate, and I would add that outside of, you know, gay men, I would say any kind of entertainer that, that showcases different curves, but there's such a violent attack on trans women for this exact reason, is that uh, they identify as a woman, and there's a different mentality that this man, and I get this all the time, where men will come up, and they don't realize that I am a drag entertainer. I'm not a trans woman, and if I address it, if I say, and we are not around other, if we are alone, which I learned not to do, people will get defensive, aggressive, even violent. I've been followed to my car before because they want to prove something that they are not, they are not gay or they're not queer because how you know how dare you deny me or how dare you you know make me feel a certain way? Absolutely, I completely agree with you. Wow. That's yeah. That's I. I was going to ask you if you had had, had to confront that personally, which obviously um, you I, have. I have. I've learned over the course of the years uh, not to wear, you know, certain wigs out and about um, after a bar. I've had to be escorted out by bartenders or management because there are some customers that will wait after the show. People people get in their mind, and especially if you're in a public place, the way that you respond to somebody that doesn't realize that you're not trans or that you're not interested in them, especially if they are on that kind of straight man kind of kind of mentality, uh, you have to handle it gently uh, and bring in people to kind of support you in that moment because sometimes the response is ridiculously aggressive. And I'd argue most of the, the people that are probably complaining and protesting against drag entertainers are doing it for the reasons that you said, too, because there's some weird fetishization of drag entertainers or trans women, and they sexualize it uh, until they realize that, they, that if they get rid of the problem, then they're not, they're not feeling the type of thing. But deep down, they're never going to not feel that way. Yeah, no, and I think your observation about the father of the, of the shooter is, is probably there's something behind that. There's probably a reason he made that comment, and there's, you know, and that speaks to the the, the home environment and the the whole, you know, the deep seated fear that you know they they created. And, and the scary thing about this is it doesn't take a lot of these people who are triggered and fearful um, to create this kind of violence. It takes, you know, here we're talking about two huge tragedies. It was two shooters that did all of that, and so it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't take a lot, and that's part of the reason this this rhetoric is so dangerous is because it gives it's not just the rank and file perception and and people you know making decisions on who they vote for or that type of thing. It is the this this small minority of people who are so triggered, so fearful so crazy around the issue that when you put that rhetoric out there, you've just lit the match. 
and that's that's what you know this perpetuates. Um, I want to I want to kind of dial back a little bit though to um, hearing more about your program, Drag for All Ages. How did you get that started, and how is that program going now? Yeah, so we started that. Uh, me and Betty Pages, who's another drag entertainer, uh, we started that right after October 2018 when the things were started. Probably started that in that year around February, April time uh, in 2019. Um, we decided that there needed to be a stage, a platform, an environment, a venue that did not have alcohol, was not dedicated to being like a bar or a nightclub. And this is a big comic book store. Um, and so we set up a stage. We have families reach out, kids reach out, and they just show up and, and they perform. It, and we made it a fundraiser as well. So each month we would raise money for the White Rose Foundation, which gave back scholarships to queer individuals trying to go to school. We switched it over to the Drew Project for a while because they do amazing efforts um, as well. And we would get anywhere from three to 20 different uh, drag entertainers, some majority of them being under 21, under 18, because we don't have the space to perform, a couple being older, uh, all different identities, all different types of drag, some that wanted to sing, some that uh, were uh, uh, disabled. We had so many different show-ups that wanted to perform. We kept going great every month, every month we raised money. COVID hit, we had to take about a stop for a year. And coming back was a little bit difficult. We only had a couple shows coming back, and we've actually moved the show from Mile High Comics, and I now do it at the Bloomfield Auditorium in Colorado, uh, which is uh, a little bit outside of the city. Same safe space, no uh, alcohol. Uh, we have people volunteers to come and help protect the kids. The Parent Health Patrol is what we call them, which is an amazing organization that travels all over the country to shield kids from protesters that are super violent or negative. They provide earmuffs for the kids as well that shouldn't be here in some of the things that we're saying. It's going strong. We have our next one this Sunday, actually. Yeah, and I, I think you may have just mentioned this, but the um, what? how did the uh, Parasol Patrol get started and how effective have they been? And tell us more detail about them. Yeah. To my understanding, so Pasha and Eli run the organization. To my understanding, uh, when we started getting a lot of terrible, violent protesters from the Drag Ball Egypt show, the Parasol Patrol slowly formed, created, evolved. Uh, and these two, and Eli and Pasha, the, the organizers, turned it into an actual organization. They have a huge group of people that They'll just post where the event is, and people will show up with their large umbrellas. And so the idea is from where you park uh, or even on the opposite end of, like, the street, wherever the protesters are not, these people, these volunteers with big, giant umbrellas, most of them being rainbow umbrellas, will walk you from your car to the venue inside so that you get in safely. You don't have to see them if they don't see you. Uh, they'll provide earmuffs for some of the younger kids, especially if uh, we've had in the past protesters come with speakers, microphones, just to and got a lot of nasty things. Um, and so their, their goal is to provide a barrier, uh, some kind of safety net for everybody walking into the venue uh, and, you know, kind of separate them from the protesters. They're super effective. They're wonderful. 
Yeah, it is, from what I understand, the the numbers of protesters that, from what you guys started with and over time, have dwindled significantly. Uh, people not showing yeah. up any further, and you know, it's like so. It's, it's and, in that yeah. aspect, it, it's getting better. Yeah, and I don't know if that was because of COVID or if there just wasn't traction or if they gave up. But uh, towards uh, the start of COVID, before things shut down, it was it was getting absolutely it was getting so ridiculous that we had considered canceling the show because it was not good. What um, and now kind of going really big picture. What what do you see as the near future, near term future, long term future of drag as an art form? I mean, it's like it it went from Torch Song trilogy. I mean, obviously it was around back in the day. In Torch Song trilogy, Harvey Weinstein said, you know, he he thought it was going to go the way of Aunt Jemima as a politically incorrect. Um, uh, you know, portrayal that that would would die out, and then in came RuPaul, and it became just a worldwide, you know, art form and sensation and, and expression, and um, you know, this this huge network. Um, where where do you see it going, and what do you think the fallout from all the this political crap is is going to take on it? Drag is not going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't see it going anywhere. The same thing that I said about like, you can't get rid of queer people, you can't get rid of drag uh, drag entertainers. Uh, we make a joke that every time you sneeze, a new drag entertainer is born um, because there's so many people that want to try it and they exist. Uh, I only see it getting more prominent. You look at not only RuPaul coming out with only a dozen new seasons of Drag Race next year all across the world, uh, but you look at uh, one of the contestants sitting on Dancing with the Stars. That's representation. You look at uh, the show We're Here, where you are bringing and forcing queerness and drag into a small town or space that has never experienced it before, where, well, no hope, queer people exist. We're not going anywhere. I think that these attacks and these, these uh, the, all of the, the rhetoric, everything that's coming out is only making queer people, drag artists, want to make a larger stand and a statement by continuing to perform, by continuing to raise money, continuing to use our voices, continuing to do all these shows. Uh, you know, fighting hate with love is extremely powerful. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sarah, I want to pivot to you um, on, on the a similar question, though, but more because I think there are two camps on behind the hatred one is the real haters that we've talked about that have these kind of psychoses against drag people and drag stars and gay people and you know there's a whole lot to unpack with them but then there are these opportunistic politicians um what is your point and and viewpoint in the drew project mission in terms of dealing with that level of society? Well, I can certainly say that it is a lot easier to do from here in Colorado with um, our governor. Um, And I would also like to even extend the point to say that 30 years ago, Colorado was the hate state. It had more stringent anti-LGBTQ laws on the books than any other state in the country. And a lot of really 
thankfully, rich progressives got together and figured out how to flip the legislature, the state legislature here, and how to find a pathway towards progression. Um, not all cities and counties have uh, fallen in line with that, of course, um, because you, you still see focus on the family down in Colorado Springs. You have to really, you know, I want to um, also touch back on something that Jessica said um, about how, you know, the memorial for Club Q is tucked behind the corner of a building in an alley and there is no other response from the city. Whereas in Orlando, you can't sneeze without falling on a rainbow now. And the way mm -hmm. that Orlando embraced, you know, the queer community after Pulse was just, just so inspiring and incredible that I find it so beyond disappointing the way that Colorado Springs has handled this. Um, I, I think the blood is on the hands of politicians who call us groomers for cheap political points. I think the blood is on the hands of Mayor John Southers, who's been peddling anti-LGBTQ rhetoric for over a decade. I remember fighting him when he was um, when he was in political office when I was working for One Colorado back in 2013. He was trying to keep us from um, achieving uh, marriage equality. And what's worse is then, you know, taking into consideration the gun laws. The blood is on the hands of the El Paso County Sheriff who could have and should have used the red flag law which is the extreme risk protection order law to keep guns out of the hands of a person who had been arrested, who had been arrested for threatening his mother with bombs, and who, who by all intents and purposes of the law that I had worked for six years helping to pass, wasn't used. And I, I'm livid. The, the sheriff in Colorado Springs has refused to use his job or to do his job because of a fake extremist title that county has taken on, Second Amendment Sanctuary City, meaning they think that they are above the law that the state has passed. And, you know, these people keep forgetting <laughs> the Second Amendment is in place to save them from tyranny, not to take their homophobic military fantasies out on a community in one of our safe spaces. What about our sanctuary? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just, no, you, I want you to continue because I, I, I'm totally there with you. I mean, the Second Amendment, or the bastardization of the Second Amendment is mind-blowing. And it well, harkens back to the story that Brody uh, talked about at the beginning of the uh, the show that, you know, one of these protests had, had armed people on both sides. And that is right. just an absolutely terrifying um, offshoot of the the horror show that social media has become is that when it comes to the streets that people are going to show up armed. It's just you know it's it's insanity. Um, but please continue. Oh, with it, what it you is. Were oh, oh, I I mean I was going to say it is insanity. Like you can't go to a movie theater, a grocery store, a gay club a school, you can't go anywhere without the threat, and the threat of being shot. And this is, I mean, if you, want, if you want numbers, there are enough guns in America for every adult and every child to have a gun, plus 
60 million more. The the issue that we have with guns is, it, it, I mean, other other places have homophobia and mental health issues, but they don't have easy access to guns. And that is right. that's the huge difference here. The American individualism and the vitriol that the right has continued to push forward has essentially weaponized and mobilized people who otherwise wouldn't have said a thing. You know, out, out here in Colorado, we have Lauren Boebert, who, God, I am so angry that she didn't lose her election. Oh, um, yeah, but she should, she should be worried. She is in a district that, uh, with, that uh, went to Trump by nine points. So she should absolutely be worried to only be winning her election by 500 votes. Because what she is going to be learning very quickly is that Coloradans are not here for the anger payment. We do not want her to be popping off on social media for cheap political points, for a Chiron on a news show late at night on Fox News, for the ability to send fodder in a fundraising email. Represent Coloradans. What we want is not what the, the folks that she is coalescing with, like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene out, out in D.C., like the the stuff that they're doing is nefarious at best and dangerous at worst. You know, it's it's lives that are on the line here. I mean, we have 110 people every day in America who die from gun violence. That is more than two pulse shootings every day. And the news is not going to keep up with that because they're not mass slaughtering. It's not 49 people at once. It's two here, one here, all over the country. And um, until we're, you know, fully attuned to that and the atrocities that continue in the name of, what, splitting us further on the political line, people are going to keep dying. And it's going to be people who are the most vulnerable. It's going to be transgender women of color. It's going to be people in a queer club. And it's going to be the people who are out on the front lines trying to fight for our rights. It's, it's not fair. And we deserve better. Yeah, no, definitely. In fact, you reminded me of something as I was preparing for the show. I just wanted to look up the date of the um, Club Q shooting uh, for point of reference. And so I went to a website that had the list of all the mass shootings in the United States in 2022. I had to go back a page and a half of line listed mass shootings to get to the Colorado shooting. That's yeah. how many more have happened in a month yep we've had as of november 20th when the club q shooting happened i believe that was mass shooting number 700 something since the beginning of the year yeah it's 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 um it's it's just insane and and for me i you know i'm triggered every time the you know as as devastating as pulse and club q have been um you know i was at the time a dad with with um, children in elementary school when Sandy Hook happened. And that mm. so ripped my soul. And the fact that nothing has been done since then is just the, one of the biggest American tragedies ever. So I, 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 I want to thank you both. Yeah, I want to thank you both for coming on today. Um, more importantly, I want to thank you for both for what you, you do on a daily basis and, and your mission um, and, and everything, everything about you is, is incredible. You're both heroes, and, and I thank you 
deeply for that. Um, Jessica, I'm going to let you answer my last question here. Um, okay. If you sat down with somebody that, you know, was fearful and and um, abhorrent towards drag and had a conversation with them, what would you say? What would you want to expose them to? You know, I, I have had conversations with people that are very anti-drag. Um, and unfortunately, the conversations that I've had have not been uh, conversational. They, they came in with an argument and defensive. If I were to sit down with somebody who was genuinely interested about um, what what this relationship, I guess, could look like or even the exposure, I would say that drag entertainers are in no way different than your actors in movies, in plays. Uh, the difference to me doesn't like doesn't make sense when people are categorizing what how we identify or how we look where just as over the top as anybody in any kind of theater uh i feel like i would say ultimately come experience the show come experience the the love that you will find and the people that come who are there to be supportive laugh escape reality sometimes um and just feel leave feeling better than when they walked in i would encourage the person i'm talking to 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 open op- with their open heart want to experience just try it out and i think that's that's the truth right there um drag is a beautiful expression um it is an exploration of beauty it is an exploration of style it's an exploration of art and the people who do it are artists and should be mm-hmm. respected in that way so again, if guys, I, I want to thank you. Um, Sarah, how can people reach the Drew Project? Um, we are on all social media platforms, and our website is thedrewproject.org, and that's Drew spelled D-R-U. Great. And Jessica, how do people find out more about you and, and the programs you have? Yeah, you can go to jessicalahore.com. That's L-W-H-O-R.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And if you find me on Facebook, you can also search Miss Jessica for all ages and family-friendly events. Perfect. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you. I want to thank Brody. Oh, our pleasure. I want to thank Brody for his work um, on this show, and I also want to thank him for his work on the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Again, you want to read that every day. In your, if you're in the L.A. area, you can actually pick it up in print. Um, and if you really want to see some of my viewpoints, you can search me under the authors there because I've got a bunch of stuff up there as well. And that's LosAngelesBlade.com. For the team here at Rated LGBT Radio, I want to thank you for tuning in again this week. We will be back. I don't know what our holiday schedule is, so just – Just watch out for us. We'll see what we're going to be doing. Um, But we will be back at you very soon with a really incredibly wonderful, thought-provoking show, I promise. And that's it for us today. We will talk again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.